We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. We've been in the book of Matthew over the last period, reading through it very slowly. Um, when, as Ben said, we invite you to join with us. So grab hold of one of those bookmarks if you haven't already, and uh, you can soon catch up. Uh, for Sunday, we've focused on a couple of things. We've spoken about the genealogy at the start of Matthew. Uh, last week, Ben spoke about temptation and, and maybe how to, how to help deal with that. Now, Matthew was written by Matthew. Isn't that amazing? Who's Matthew? Matthew was one of the disciples. He was a tax collector. So not known or not liked, I suppose, to start with by a lot of people. Um, But he put together the first of the Gospels. And it said this was actually the first one written, first one put together. And um, in the book of Matthew... Matthew, the writer, tries to show Jesus as a new type of Moses, right? So when you read things, you think, oh, that happened in Moses' life. So when you read things like, uh, remember when Jesus was a baby and they went to slaughter all the babies, so he went to Egypt for protection. Remember Moses, how he was born. All the babies were being killed and he was put into a into a basket and he was saved so there's a there's a sort of a, a tie there Moses was 40 years in the wilderness and Jesus went 40 days into the desert um, there's sort of what we call the five books of Moses which are the five first five books of your Bible and Jesus teaching is into five different parts uh, that's the way Matthew sort of puts it together and uh, when Moses was in the wilderness, they had the, the pillar of fire and the, and the smoke to, to show them that God was with them. And Jesus came on the scene and his name was Emmanuel, God with us. And so all the, the idea is that when you read it, you can, especially if you knew that part of the, of the scriptures, which the Jewish readers would have, would have taken your mind back, all these parallels. And... Uh, interesting because jesus gets up and says hey i didn't come to do away with the old law that moses gave i came to fulfill it you think well that's an interesting how do you fulfill something like that how do you fulfill a a pattern and and i i like to look at it as a as a painting any artists here so some aren't willing to put their hand up i know you yeah and you imagine a sketch, you start with a, a background sketch of what it might be and when you look at it you think, yeah, I think I've got an idea. And then as it goes on, they paint the picture and by the end, oh, that's what that was about. Well, I think Moses is, is a bit like the initial sketch and Jesus came to make the picture complete. So when you just look at what Moses showed you, you get a bit of an idea, but it's not the full picture. But when Jesus comes, that's the full picture of what God's character is like. So if you're reading the Old Testament without the, the full picture, you're not always going to get it right. And so Jesus came to complete or to fulfill. And also all the, all the laws, he, he sort of showed us what it was like to live a life that 
really reflected what God was all about. So he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to complete it or fulfill it. And, um, and Jesus gives us detail of what that really means. And like Moses, Moses went on to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and teach people. Jesus goes on to the mountain and, and we get this sermon called the Sermon on the Mountain. And, uh, and it's a picture that Jesus has got this, this teaching, this, well, what would you call it? A new revelation and more, uh, a greater unfolding of what God is like, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's interesting. You know, Jesus never came to start a new religion. He never said that once. But he's, he often came and said and talked about the kingdom of God. He came to show us what the kingdom of God was like and how we can be part of this kingdom. Um, Jesus says things in the Gospels. By the Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Things like this. No one can see the kingdom unless you're born again. Okay. He says that to someone called Nicodemus, who, by the way, was very wealthy and high up in the system and he thought he, he had it. They, they would have thought that, you know, because you are like that, you're in the kingdom of God. And he said to someone like that who, th who seemingly had it all together, no, 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 you need to, it's like you need to be born again. And that's where we get that phrase from. And Jesus talked a lot about entering the kingdom of God. No, he didn't talk about joining a religion. He talked about entering the kingdom of God. And sometimes when he was doing things like healing people or casting out demons, he said, hey, the kingdom of God has come now. And um, when he was talking about the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about the afterlife. In fact, Moses, uh, sorry, Matthew, instead of writing the kingdom of God, he uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes people read that and they think, oh, it's talking about heaven. But you, you know Jewish people, they wouldn't say the name of God because it's too holy. So this was written to Jews, so they put the word heaven in replace uh, to replace the word god because it was like too holy to say so when you read the kingdom of god through uh, the kingdom of heaven in the book of matthew it's the same term meaning as the kingdom of god it's not talking about when you die and be with god it's actually talking about god establishing his rule and his gospel his good news here and now so when you read that in the gospels it's talking about what's happening now. Um, we'll all pass over to the other side at some point in time, but it, what he's talking about is, is revel relevant to us right now. And he said things like this, seek first the kingdom of God. Who's heard that? Don't worry about all the stuff you worry about, what you're going to wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to your life. So the challenge for us as Christians is not receiving Jesus as a saviour, but it's seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, we all want Jesus in our life. Hey, that's, no, there's no argument for that. Yeah, I want to be, I want to have a saviour. But the challenge, I suppose, is to seek first his kingdom. And um, that's what we all deal with living with him as lord making his priorities our priorities 
And the kingdom of God is really just about God and people. You know, we have services and special days and special moments, but the kingdom of God isn't about coming to church. It's about taking Jesus to every part of our life. And I'm challenged all the time to sort of have those kingdom values shown in my life, to be like Jesus. And as we become him, uh, become like him, two things happen. We show his nature, his character, and we take up his cause. But I, I think um, the kingdom of God starts not so much by what we do on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. And um, because we live out who we are on the inside, really. We might say our priorities are this, but when the crunch cup happens, we actually act out our values, which are right inside of us. And the kingdom of God starts within us. So we're going to read part, uh, a few verses from what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And these are called the Beatitudes. It's a funny name, isn't it? The Beatitudes. Um, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, from verse 3. Actually, I'll read verse 1 bef just before we get there. Um, one day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went to the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach. So the crowds are coming. Jesus sits down on the side of the mountain, and all the disciples are sitting down. So it starts with just them, and then the crowds come. And uh, a couple of chapters later, we see that the, the crowds must have gathered, and we, and we read this, that when Jesus continued, uh, concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard any teaching like this. It was apparent he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religious teachers. So this was the Sermon on the Mount. The, he starts chatting to the disciples, the crowds are gathering, they're obviously listening and joining in, and at the end of it they think, wow, I've never heard anything like this. This, is, this turns upside down what we've, what we've been taught by our, our, our current leaders. So let's read from verse 3. Blessed. Who says blessed? Who says ble who, who's a blessed and who's a blessed? Okay, who's a blessed? Who's a blessed? And the rest of you, you're just, just not, not going to make up your mind, not going to commit one day. Wait. Blessed. I'll say that because that's the way I heard it once. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of God, same term. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute when falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Did you feel blessed last time you might have been abused for something like that? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So um, we hear this word blessed, blessed, blessed. And it's an interesting word. You know, what is it? Hashtag blessed. I don't know what it, what does it mean? What does it really mean? Lord bless this house. Um, you know, in those days, the word blessed was used to describe an island in Greece. And this island was a bit like the Fiji, the Hawaii, the Gold Coast when it's not flooding. You know, that sort of, it was that sort of island, that sort of holiday. Everyone wanted to be their island. It was an island called, I wrote this down, Macarius. I don't know if that's how you say it. Macarius. And that place was called Blessed. And it was like paradise. It was like the place you wanted to be. And um, so this, this life was sort of trying to describe like, the best life. Jesus actually said, I came to give you life in all its, ab- uh, all its abundance, um, a better life than you ever thought of, a life to enjoy. Now, if you've read the very last, anyone know what the very last word of the Old Testament is? The very, very last word, without looking it up. The very last word of the Old Testament is either, either we'll say in your Bible, curse or cursed. And the very first sermon Jesus comes out with is blessed. Blessed are those. Um, and it's such a, so, sort of a, such a contrast. And this sermon that Jesus preached is the longest sort of discourse of Jesus you'll read in your entire Bible, this Sermon on the Mount. And blessed also means this. It meant to be envied or, or to be congratulated. Blessed is that, oh, wow, wonder what I've got. And it was, it was sort of this, this word that, that had all those things wrapped up into them. And it's interesting that when Moses went on the, on the mountain to receive his um, Ten Commandments, the people sort of were scared to, to come near. But when Jesus came on the mountain, it says all the people gathered close. Now, two things I want you to just note about the lifestyle or what Jesus was talking about in these verses. One, it's supernatural. It's not self-help book. It's not, you know, 50 ways to be blessed. Uh, right next to how to win friends and influence people. It's not meant to be that. It's actually a supernatural thing that comes when you have Jesus in your life. So it's, it's based on a person, not based on, you know, doing the four, four steps to something. And it's only Jesus in us that can cause us to live this blessed life. And the other thing about this life is it's contrasting to what was in their world. It was light in darkness. It was different to what they thought it was going to be. And Romans 12 verse 1 says, don't, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould, um, but, but be contrasting. We, we need to be relevant, but, but not so relevant that we're no longer light. We're no longer um, contrasting. And I think the Beatitudes address two things. They in, address our eternal, internal life, the life within us, and also how we treat others. And, um, and as a follower of Jesus, entering the kingdom of God is it's about what happens inside of us and just as much what happens between us and other people. It's the two must go together. And I'm going to just briefly look at the first four of those. 
We're not going to look at all of them today, but just the first four. And um, these are kingdom culture, kingdom values, and we have different cultures here. We've got some sort of English uh, expats, Welsh, we've got some Filipinos here, we've got all sorts from, from, from all sorts of parts of the world, and we all have our own cultures, but this is the kingdom culture. Uh, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom again, heaven. The Message Bible says, you're blessed when you're at your end of your rope, with less of you there's more of God. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it's talk, not talking actually about the poor in pocket. Although Jesus came to, he said, to, to help the poor. It says the poor in spirit. It's not blessed to have poverty in your life. It's not talking about that. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, there was two, two words in the day for poor. And one was, you can imagine like a poor family. They don't have very much, but they've got some. There was that word for poor. They're poor, they, you know, just getting by. And then, then there was another word for poor which meant totally bankrupt, have completely nothing. That's the word it uses. Totally bankrupt. And Jesus is trying to get this point across. And uh, he's, he's, he's really saying, you're blessed when you realise you're totally bankrupt without God's help. That's what he's saying. Not to, not to do with how much money you've got, not to do with how wealthy you are, but when you realise, I just need you. I need you. I'm bankrupt without you. That's what it's saying. So blessed when you're like that. It says you're most happy when you're like that. And this was a revolutionary sort of a thought for the time because I thought if you had everything, you were doing okay, then, you know, you must be blessed. And he was sort of changing things here. The poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven. Not just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you won't receive the kingdom of heaven. Not because you're a Pharisee, not because you're a good moral character. And that was sort of totally against their tradition. It's very humbling. It's to say, God, I need you. I need you. Without you, I'm bankrupt. In the kingdom of God, people rely on the king. There's no self-reliance here. You know, uh, I find it, a lot of people find it hard to pray. Anyone, what do I do when I pray? How about you pray like this? God, I need you today. Without you, I'm totally bankrupt. That's a good way to start. Why don't you do that? It's just saying, telling God about your reliance on him. I depend on you today, God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit within me. I'm glad without you, I'm just bankrupt, I'm poor. You know, when you, if you pray like that, you can create expectation in your life. Lord, I need you. I'm looking for you. You know, being poor like this or this sort of poverty results in spiritual richness. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, I'm, I'm depending on you. Hey, if you find it hard to pray, can I suggest you stop praying and just start talking to God? Uh, we're gonna, next week, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. That shows us some principles. But, you know, talk, talk to your Father in heaven as a friend, as a father. 
and look, God, I need you. Some people sit back and say, well, that's very disrespectful. You're not saying the right sort of words. No, that's what Jesus was getting across. He was saying, you know, forget about all that stuff. Just come to me. A life of dependence of God. Hey, when you're part of God's kingdom, you're actually acknowledging as king, him as king. So, you know, it's like you put yourself under his protection and his provision. Lord, I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. The second one says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Well, that's interesting. You know, I used to read these Beatitudes and think, what the heck is that all about? What's so fantastic about mourning so you be comforted? Blessed. Does that mean we're supposed to mourn all the time so we can be comforted? I thought the kingdom of God was supposed to be about joy and life. And I was quite actually confused about this sort of stuff for a long time. And I haven't got it all together, but I think it's unfolding. And God definitely comforts those who mourn, no doubt about that. You know, if we've lost something, if something is happening. But um, I, I want you to look at it a different way today. Just There's lots of ways to look at it, but how about you, you look at it this way? Blessed is the person who knows how to live a life of repentance. So it's just one aspect I want you to look at. Who gets up, for they'll be comforted by God. So the first one was a life of dependence. This is a life of repentance. Let me tell you what I mean. It leads to mercy and pardon and forgiveness and comfort. He shows me things I need to maybe adjust in my life. Daily dependent on God and daily repentant. Now, repentant doesn't mean I go and point out all my sins. It means, um, it means I just come to God and say, Lord, forgive me where I've messed up. Show me where I need to adjust things. That's a life of repentance. It's hearing God and acting on what he says. You know, if you live a life of repentance, you're not looking at everyone else's life and pointing out what they need to get right. You're becoming judgmental. We start with our own life. Live a life of repentance. You know, David, King David messed up many times, we, we, we read in the, in the Word of God. But he was called a man after God's own heart. And God didn't brush over everything he did wrong, but he often led him in repentance and he restored unto him the joy of his salvation. And it's just coming, hearing God, coming before God, changing our thinking, changing our, our action. And, uh, you know, I'm not legalistic. I don't believe at all telling people what they should or shouldn't do. I believe the Holy Spirit, you know, does that for us. But when God, when we live a life of repentance, this is what happens. We go to do something and God says, uh-uh, don't, don't go that way or turn around. You've gone too far down that track. That's living a life of repentance. And then we feel the grace of God, the comfort of God when we live like that. His kindness leads us to repentance, a life of dependence, a life of repentance. You know, this, you know, this verse also 
shows God's heart for the mourning, those who have suffered loss, the brokenhearted. He understands and he comforts. The third one is, uh, was it verse 5? Blessed are the meek. Well, they'll inherit the earth. Any meek people here? Meek, what does that mean? Well, meek is not weak. Meek, I think meek and humility all sort of are there together. Meekness is actually this. It's power under control. Moses and Jesus were both called the meekest people in the Bible. Did you know that? Who wrote that Moses was the meekest person in the Bible? Moses did. And Jesus himself said, I'm the meekest person in the Bible. So it's not this false humility. It's power or strength under control. Jesus, some people say, oh, Jesus is meek and mild. Jesus was meek, but he wasn't mild. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do they say I am? Some said, well, some said you're John the Baptist, some said you're the Elijah. They're two of, th- two of the wildest guys in the Bible. He wasn't, he was meek, but he wasn't mild. So let's get that out, out of our head. That's based on Renaissance paintings, not a, on the word of God. Meekness is quiet strength. You know in those days, meekness was, to, to be meek was a, a, a term to describe like a, a strong horse being trained. He was meek, meaning he had power and strength, but it was under the control of the master. So that gives you an idea. Meek is, is not, you don't lose your strength, you, but you're under the control or under the direction of someone else, under, under the direction of God. Maybe look at it that way. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is a kingdom quality. You know, strength and energy there, but ready to serve him, not going off and beating your own chest or talking about your own greatness. And the meek will inherit the promises of God. So you've got dependence, we've got uh, repentance, we've got meekness. Uh, We'll do one more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger for righteousness. Not hunger for God, Hunger for righteousness. Interesting term, isn't it? The term righteous and and justice were actually really interlinked. They meant the the same sort of thing. Right to be righteous or to have justice. I think those who are passionate for God thirst for for being right with God to start with. God, I want to be right with you. Um, Passionate about staying right with him. And uh, as I said before, it was connected to justice, so it's doing right by people and making sure those who are uh, maybe downtrodden or ill-treated are lifted up. It's to do with that as well. It's passionate about living the way he wants us to live. And it's to do do with our position before God and also to do with the way we live with other people. And... um, Allowing the grace of God in our life. You know, the grace of God isn't about so we can live a life of compromise and have his grace. The, living, uh, the grace of God is to empower us to live righteous before God and, and, and uh, with other people. Being passionate about 
living right. You know when you're not right with someone? We all know when we're not right with someone. Let's be right with God and he invites us all the time to come to him regardless of how we feel and to, to get things right. By the way, he's always right with us but we don't always think we're right with him. And uh, kingdom values, dependence on God. I'm spirit, spiritually bankrupt without you. Repentance, blessed are those who mourn. Living a life of repentance. Living, understanding what meekness is all about. It's not weakness, but it's having the power of God under control. And having a desire to please God and represent him. These, these sort of, uh, I think, some of the internal values that then come out and um, become a compass to the way we live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I just wanted felt to remind you just then that we can come to God at any time. He actually invites us to come boldly before him. And... Um, I mentioned before that sometimes when we think we got there's something between us and another person, we, we sort of hide back. Where God actually invites us to do the opposite. When we feel like we, we haven't got it all together with God, when we've wandered down the wrong track or we've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, he doesn't want us to hide away. He wants us to do the op- opposite, to run towards him. In fact, he says in Hebrews to come boldly that's not with arrogance but boldly to the throne of his grace boldly means confidence not in us but confidence in the invitation you know imagine you're going to see the queen of england and you've been sent an invitation in the mail and you go there, you're not confident maybe to walk in the place by yourself, but because you got that invitation, you know you're meant to be there. Well, we have an invitation. And it's not just on a piece of paper, it's sort of stamped in our life because of Jesus. And the invitation isn't just based on, you know, an award. It's, it's based because we are, we are children of God. We are accepted, we are loved. And... Um, I just felt we needed a moment to come to God. And if you've been sort of at a distance for any reason, I want you to know that the door is open and the Father's arms are open ready to embrace you. It says, come boldly to the throne of his good grace that you can receive grace and mercy in your time and need. So it's for those who maybe feel like they haven't measured up, but it's also an invitation for those who just need God's help to come and receive his mercy for your need. Hebrews 4 says, So since then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to what we believe. For this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So boldly come 
to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it most. You know, we come to God to worship, to give God something, our praise and, and worship. But for this moment, I want you to imagine yourself coming to the throne of God's grace to receive something. And in your imagination or your mind's eye, why don't you think about God giving you something? You know, it might be forgiveness, but it might be something that, uh, like, like healing or, or direction or encouragement or strength. You know, we worship God. It's good for our soul and it's, it's the place where we receive from God. Thank you, Lord, for the welcome. And we receive what you have for us. Each person, Lord, is facing something different, Lord. And your grace, Lord, supplies uh, every need. Your grace is sufficient for everything we might be facing. Sing this together if we've got the words. My words will sure I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? 
could sing these songs as I often do. At every song must and you and do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. So that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. No, it's not much, nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah hallelujah it's not much else fit for a king singing hallelujah again and again, all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah, no it's not much, nothing else fit for a king, cause everything heart singing hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your gift. We thank you for the blessings you offer us. And although we realize, you know, there's nothing we can do to receive them, Lord, we can put ourselves, position ourselves under the umbrella of your blessing. We want to be people who have those kingdom values inside our life, Lord, and live out a life pleasing to you, a blessed life, Lord a life that blesses those around us, our, our friends, our family, our communities, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we're going to finish there, and um, if you're able to stay around, don't forget we've got some... Spring rolls, fried rice out there as well. It's too much rain out there to go off straight away anyway. So hang around, bless somebody. We're just going to keep this atmosphere just for a little little moment. If you're receiving from God, why don't you continue to do that if you want to do so. Otherwise, move into the foyer and um, bless somebody. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week.